If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers, and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Now, today's chat's with Mark Langley. Mark's an inspirational horseman who considers how he feels when he's working with horses. He works with the horse, he guides it, involves it in the educational process and prioritises the horse feeling better about the education he gives it. Mark gives an insight into training which puts the horse first and he's helped many people and horses in his unique and perceptive training which has come from the experience of starting and training thousands of horses, many of which have been highly sensitive wild horses. His knowledge of horse psychology is fascinating and how he deals with problems and bad behaviours is something we'll be talking about in our chat today. How are you, Mark? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks, Glenis. Yes, good. good. Good, You've been pretty busy, Mark. I think you're in the process of getting ready for a clinic, and I know you're off to Equitana next week. So, yeah, in between, lucky you found time for us to, uh, to have this call. So thanks for the time. Oh, no worries at all. No, it's a pleasure. Good. Now, Mark, we normally start people off with a favourite quote, and I know you've got a couple for us that you use often in your clinics. What would you like to talk to people about? What are the main ones? Well, the, one of the favourite quotes that I tend to be quoting a lot to people and it's and it's sort of a quote that um, I don't think it actually originally came from the back of my brain. It was with words that I read years ago. But those the, the quote that, that sort of means the most and I tell people the most is um, if you push a horse away, they'll soon know where you want them. And, um, you know, I'm constantly addressing that with people in their horsemanship. And, and the other one that sort of, you know, helps people, I guess, take the emphasis off themselves and, and just, you know, think that we're, you know, here to help our horses. We're just here to help. So I say that quite a lot as well. We're just here to help, not not to train. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like the way that you communicate with them and, and you communicate with horses when the horses are ready to listen. So when they're listening to you, you can educate them. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, basically, my, my whole training is, is it revolves around trying to get people to understand their horses and know when the horse is ready to take on information. And, yeah, sometimes you're spending a whole half a clinic with somebody getting their horse ready to take on information and, and, and be connected to that person so it can accept that person. Mm-hmm. You've started thousands of horses, but I want you to think of even before you were starting and, and working with any wild horses, your early memories, have you got a particular memory that you might have thought learn something, make it a learning memory? Oh, in my, my younger days, I was, uh, you know, on the back of a horse young. I did, did the pony club and things like that, and uh, we were involved, like my father and was running a long-distance horse trekking business. We so were always trekking horses, 
uh, yeah, making mapping out trails, doing a lot of pack horsing, but yeah, just the memory, the memories that I have. It wasn't until I started working um, on a, on a property, working with a stockman, that I really sort of started to see the advantage and wanting and to know and learn more about. Um, how to get our horses softer and, and more connected because his stockman though he sort of had a lot of old techniques he was he had some nice horses and, and it really made a lot of sense to me and it just sort of gave me a bit of inspiration I guess to sort of want to do a little bit more and better hone my horsemanship skills because you know you sort of when you're young you sort of think you're going okay but you realize there's a lot to learn <laughs> yeah yeah so Mark from that when you're working with the stockman and now you've got a career with horses, you know, you're training, you're helping people, you're doing clinics. Was it like a gradual progression? I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the wild horses that you're working with and the starling right from scratch. How old were the horses? Tell us a little bit about the circumstances that you're in then. Yeah, well, when I first, you know, I put an ad in the paper when I came back from America with sort of, I guess, big ideas to try and, you know, we're not big ideas. I just came back wanting to do better, a better job yep. and, and, and learn more about horses. And um, so I put an, put an ad in the, in the paper that I was taking on starters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so living in a rural area, we've got a lot of people who breed stock horses, but they just push them and they come in at about sort of three or four years old and start them. But some Brumbies that I started from up north, they were, they were hand-selected ones and they were sort of up to eight-year-old and they, they, they were all, like, like half of them were stallions that had just been freshly castrated. And and they, they were sort of probably the older sort of wilder horses that that, that I've done in the sense of, of being proper proper wild and proper big and strong horses. Mm-hmm. Um, all the others that came through were just, you know, some of them were just as, just, just as uh, well, seemed just as difficult. Uh, but the, these Brumbies weren't as, as, as difficult as, as a lot of the other bred ones that I'd had. But yeah, I'd take them from from scratch and um and and start them and get them going. Now those horses were destined to go overseas. Probably something I wouldn't wouldn't be involved in so much anymore. But okay, well, tell us about some particular. You know, I'm trying to think your philosophy. You know, where it started from, where you where you really really got the idea of listening to the horse and working with the horse. When, when I when I started when I started taking on horses, um, yep. I was I must admit I was just drawing on ideas and methods that I've learnt, and some methods I, I I sort of didn't like, and I wanted to change because it didn't feel right. Yeah. But I didn't have enough. I didn't have enough. I guess real experience to sort of question, you know, because the people of those methods that I that I got them off, you know, they were sort of I guess, you know been around a long time and they sort of had a, quite a following in horsemanship and things like that. And, yes. But there was things I didn't sort of agree with and I um, – and I, a lady lent me a book and it was a Mark Rashid book and this was about um, probably in the early days when I was taking taken on horses. In my, that was in my mid-20s, I guess. And he questioned a lot of the things that were, were around it. And, and those questions were sort of light bulbs for me because they were the questions that were floating in my mind, only half answered and half unanswered. Okay, yes. And from from there I realised, and, and because of the wild horses that I was training, I, I got a lot of Arabs. Like in the old days I was getting a lot of four- and five-year-old unhandled Arabs. And as you know, sort of the highly strung horses, you, you can't, you don't make too, you don't want to make too many mistakes. You want to mm. you want to make things sure things are going right and the horses trust you and yes. Um, and that sort of highlighted 
um, things in training which I that, that weren't right for the horses. Mm-hmm. And from then, my philosophy basically started to one. I started to believe in myself and my instinct, and yes. I, and I just relied a lot more on instinct when I was training, opposed to, you know, trying to follow a, follow an idea or something that someone else has has got. And and I relied on more on my instinct because the 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 words that I read really helped me believe in the things that it, myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it gave me a way of thinking that that took me years to really understand it and and properly understand stand it and um but from there I started to sort of evolve every, every horse I broke in I was evolving a little bit more where yep. where probably prior to that I was just using sort of techniques and and hoping that they were going to go okay do you think the book almost gave you permission to say these old ways maybe they're not right maybe I can explore a little bit you know and from there you've you've started to explore Oh well, the the, the, thing, the thing was is um it was questioning new ways as well. So it was sort uh-huh. of it was questioning the old ways and and the new ways because um some of the stuff that's new is, is still got a lot of you know it was it, but it, yeah it made me question that the some of the things that I that I was doing and also mm-hmm. some of the new things that I'd learned, especially when I was overseas in America and that sort of thing. Okay, okay. What's some of the things that you used to do that now you just you know, you you just shake your head with, at anyone that would even well, talk about it. Yeah. As I said before, the 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 the, uh, the quote that sort of I seem to say a lot, and that was the basically the quote that I I got out of this book. But it but it was a, just a philosophy. But it but it made so much sense to me. It was if you push a horse away, you'll you'll soon know where you want them. Mm-hmm. They'll soon know where you want them. Yeah. So what that meant to me was how often do we push our horses away? And it started to make me realise. Even in my own training, you know, when I wanted to motivate a horse, it was very easy to put energy into them and move them away from that energy. Um, but when you're working with really raw, highly strung horses, all that is in horse communication is go away. Yep. Um, you know, you know, and 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 also the other th- side of things is the so so even when I was sort of getting a horse to pay a bit of attention in a round yard, I started just to draw its thoughts to me, opposed to sort of have a lesson where I move its feet away to get its focus to come back. I, I started really trying hard in all my techniques and it really sort of it just showed me how many areas we do it and how damaging it could be. But it wasn't until years later that I really see, saw how damaging it actually is because doing my own horses, you know, you, you, you just, you're progressing each day and you're just seeing the end result and whereas Later, when I started doing clinics and teaching people, I saw the result of what years of certain training did, mm-hmm. as in I'd see lots of horses at a clinic with the same problems. Yes. Okay. Okay. And these are man-made problems? Yes. Yeah, yeah. a lot of them yep. were man-made yep. problems. And, yep. um, but, yeah, so, so it was those, that, that philosophy that really was the first one that got me thinking about the things I was already uncomfortable with, especially yep. when I was starting to work a few nervous horses. Mm-hmm. And it made me believe in myself and just go, well, how can I figure out ways to make operating a horse, like make a horse feel better operating around me, you know, not just the connection that they have by when they come up and sniff and feel okay with you and the, and, and that, that, that comfort that you're given by that, but but when they actually start to operate and move their feet around us and, um, you know, it really made me try hard to sort of look at them and, and get them to sort of feel a bit better about what they were doing, but... 
I guess also training and re-educating, I started feeling sorry for horses. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I started to love them a lot more because I um, yeah, I'd get the damaged horses because the better I got with tough horses and, and stuff, sometimes you'd get the re-education horses more and the tough ones yep. and, and you'd see the, you know, the fear in them and, and, and that was man-made fear and stuff and it made me really feel sorry for them mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what they had to go through before they come to me. Okay, okay. So you said earlier that sometimes you work with someone and it might be halfway through the clinic before the horse is really listening and wants to connect with a person. What sort of body language are you looking for? What reactions? How do you know that they're ready to listen? Uh, the horse is like, so you got, like as I said earlier, it wasn't until I started doing clinics that I saw the damage of education. Yep. Yep. And, and and how people are damaged horses. So you got the, the fear damage from from getting treated really hard, but then you got the damage of people trying to do the right thing, but they've ended up flooding their horses and pushed them away and not not allowed their horses to search. So so you got the shutdown horses, for instance, mm-hmm. um, which look very obedient but very mechanical, very sort of disconnected, and they're not quite in balance because they're doing the task, they're doing it with their thoughts a little bit elsewhere, and, and they're carrying a certain amount of tension. So in those horses, um, and they're probably the harder ones to get to come out of the hole and, 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 and look around again and say, hey, can you help me? But those horses, say, for instance, you're going to be looking at them just starting to loosen up in their ears um, mm-hmm. because those horses tend to have tight ears where they sort of hold them in a certain angle and they don't. And and the one thing I look for is, is them to reach out and sniff out to people. Uh, as in, you know, they loosen the jaw and they, they sniff out like a young horse would sniff out to a person that's like a nervous horse would to, to, to sniff for someone's hand. Mm-hmm. So some of those very obedient horses and you'll see their eyes soften and, and a lot of times you get that square-shaped eye in a horse that the, the, the front of their eye, you know, it will round a little bit. Their eye will just generally soften. Mm-hmm. Some of the wrinkles, the wrinkles in their face will start to disappear their breathing, um, they may have a letdown, which is when, when a horse lets down and you see the licking and chewing and that sort of thing. But sometimes that's not really from a connection. It may be just because the person stepped away and gave the horse space to sort of feel that it wasn't under pressure or yep. threat. Yep. So sometimes a letdown can be associated with just, oh, you stepped away, thank God. Yes, <laughs> uh, yes. And then, and so it's not a good thing. But what I'm looking for is if a horse lets down after it's sniffed a person, uh-huh. Yes. Or it's, you know, done something like that. So it's like the, the you see the connection cause a release in that horse and the horse relaxes. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's sort of one thing I look for. The other thing I look for is the angle of their thoughts. So so you look at their eyes and you can tell that they're sort of thinking elsewhere and they've got not a soft eye on you. So and the and the angle of their jaw and everything like that. So if your horse is just walking past you, you can see if it's sort of seeking refuge elsewhere or looking at you softly with that inside eye. Yep. And, you know, generally that inside eye will have a nice soft ear that's paying attention to you. But mm-hmm. um, so if you think the angle of their thoughts and, the, and you, it's almost looking like they're looking somewhere else a bit, that's 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 obviously a, a clear indicator that they're not connected and, and, and they need to be. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, 
then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. So when you start a clinic and you might have a group of riders, group of horses, but they're unknown, you know, you haven't seen them before. What's the common behaviour that you see that you would prefer not to see? sort of talked a little bit about it, but, you know, I just wondered if there was a yeah. common... Well, one of the common behaviours is um, the things that niggle me, I suppose, if it was going to be like if you are saying if it's a singer that niggles me a yep. little bit, yep. it's when the horse does something and the, horse, and the person snaps, they, 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 they snap a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I can even blame myself for being like that in the past. Um, but now it's my priority to teach to people to understand why the horse did something because horse the people blame the horse for doing something and they and they snap at it in a, in a way whether it's throw a wave up a rope or you know do something um yet the person themselves were quite disconnected with their horse when their horse did something mm-hmm. and and they take it personally and blame the horse for doing something wrong that yep. that irritates me a little bit and and it i mean i don't sort of show people that I'm irritated by it. I just try and encourage them to look at another way of, of dealing with it. But I do see it happening a lot. You know, the poor horse is always the one to blame for everything. You know, if it's pushy, it's, it's disrespectful. If it's, you know, it's, it's, so I guess the blame for, for – and really the blame is just lack of, lack of understanding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look, horsechats.com. Has there been a, a particular, you know, and I'm thinking like a case study, a particular horse that you work with or even a particular person that you've taught that, you've, you know, they might have come to you with a certain philosophy and then through the work that you've done with that particular person, they've been able to change their philosophy and, and go on and, and do well with horses? Yeah, well, do well with the troubled horse. I'll sort mm. of, there's, a, there's a few case scenarios, but um, there's, well, there's a couple of ladies actually, separate horses, separate ladies, but mm. they've, they're ones I've just helped recently actually. I'll probably use them because they've, because the question in the sense of they were doing it one way and they had troubles and, and they changed their approach and then their horse is starting to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I get lots of people who have. Sometimes I get people that have on the last resort. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm going to give you. No, there's one person, but they are already on the path of finding another way. Before they met me, they're already trying to seek. Okay. So I had someone come to a clinic a, a while ago, and and um, you know she was training in horsemanship and things like that, and she was trying to help a horse. Uh, so she bought a quiet horse that was actually more shut down than quiet, and it had been sort of hammered in an arena and. So she's got this horse that starts attacking people and starts to sort of just either not go or just rear up and panic when it wants to, you know, all these things started coming out of the, you know, all these worms started coming out of the, <laughs> the woodwork sort of thing. Yep. Um, now, 
all the help she got and she started to train in a certain way but it wasn't helping a horse because it, it required to put more pressure on when the horse was troubled. Yes. Um, so I guess, I guess where I've sort of come along and, and helped her, I said, well, listen, um, how about you stop moving your horse away and just, just let it feel good about being operated first and so we'll find little things that it can do that it can survive without having to feel troubled about it. Mm-hmm. And um, and part of that would have been just getting that horse just to sort of connect to her and, and just realise that she's a good place. So something I do with everyone is just make them imagine that they're a tree opposed to a sort of an alpha horse or something like that. And being a tree, it's, it's something that the horse can always feel comfortable around, but a tree is very strong, um, you know, So because I think sometimes when people get help with horsemanship, they become externally strong as in they, they, they get when a horse pushes them, they they can use their arms or their rope or their flag or something and move a horse away. And but internally, they're still they're still a little bit need strengthening. Mm-hmm. So um, part of it would have been fixing that in her and saying, you know, it's okay just to stand here, calm, and not worry about all the little things he does. Just let him relax a little bit and uh, feel okay. But then when we started to operate him, it was highly important that. If he got cranky when she had him just like gently lunging out, instead of doing something about it, I'd just say, don't worry about it, just make him feel good, maybe draw him back and let him follow you and let him stand for a second. So every time he gets a hard eye like he wants to be aggressive, curve that thought with a with with something else, like distract that thought with uh with, with, with a task that might bring him back to make him feel better. Okay. Um so instead of sort of getting on him all the time when he got cranky or aggressive or pushy or things like that, we tried to sort of make him feel okay and just show him that she's still strong and she's not to be pushed over but she's not it's not an argument between them who's who's you know not an alpha horse versus an alpha horse she's not trying to push him down the pecking order and mm-hmm. then what's happened is now when she visits him in the paddock he comes up to her and he and he sniffs her and he follows her around and stuff like that and yeah. he, he actually generally starting to like her yep and though we've still been working a lot like hard on getting that riding happening. But what's starting to happen now, she can take him out. He feels good about going forward now and he's casting his thoughts out and he's carrying her along and getting confident. And 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 every time she deals with him, there's a little less argument in the areas where there was a lot of argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really just trying to work out, you know, one, stop pushing him away like an alpha horse. I really had to get her, encourage her to not, not think like that because um, – you know, when they get pushed down the pecking order, it doesn't make they, they they just feel troubled about that anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking about horses like this and doing clinics and and moving away from certain methods, have you had people challenge you and just say, "No, that's not the right way to do it. This is the right way," and they go back to some of the old ways that you'd learned earlier on? Oh, people sometimes go away and they. If they don't, if they've only spent a day or two with me and they don't really understand, mm. then they'll go back to what's easy. Okay. Sometimes it's easy not to think. Mm. So when I when people come to a clinic, I'm, I, I one thing I I'd like to think I'm getting better at, and and people have sort of said, "Oh no, you, you're good at explaining it." Is I will explain things in detail, and I might have five different ways of explaining the same thing. So when people have, uh, are listening, they they actually can see and understand why you would do it one way and not the other and how your horse feels about it and um, and things like that. So hopefully by the end of two days they can sort of grasp the concept 
But because it is difficult and you've got to think harder, so even when you apply feel, it's not just about, oh, yeah, this will do. You have to be more particular. You have to watch more. You have to take in more information. So it can be difficult, but mm-hmm. the end result is a horse that feels better and is much nicer to work around, but it requires you to become a horse person, not just a method follower. Yes. Um, yes. And, and But that's my, 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 my motive is to teach people to be a horse person. And at the clinic, you know, people are like, they'll probably challenge me after the clinic and talk about me. I'm, I'm not sure, but at a clinic, I've not been challenged too much I have had people question, well, why wouldn't you just do this? And then I'll say, well, I wouldn't do it because of this. And you can see your horse thinking here and, and, and see that and see 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 the tension rise there. And I, I give them a scenario and explain it and I, and I show them through their horse and they go, oh, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I can see that now, I can understand that. So if I was to give them an idea without explaining why, then I think they'd challenge me a lot more, but I, I'm very careful on explaining okay. why I'm doing everything all the time. Yep. I do this because of this, and then they, they sort of answer their question before they ask the question, mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. they need to ask it. Yep, yep. If you now had, you know, a handful of horses to get started, five-year-old, Arabian-bred, not handled, how would you go about it? What would you start doing and what sort of exercises would you start? Oh, listen. Yeah. Um, You're going to tell me you've got one at home. Yeah, got one right in the yard No, now. no. Well, <laughs> I was going to say one thing I'd do, I'd, I'd take a lot more time than I used to. Okay. Um, so I, I wouldn't be employed anymore by anyone breaking in a lot of horses because <laughs> I'd be like, no, he's, he's going to take too long. Um, mind you, once upon a time um, I was still doing it a, a, a kind way, but um, I was – I, I only had a certain amount of horses on the guard all the time and my situation was, was better to get them through on a shorter period. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, if I had a wild horse standing in front of me, I'd probably wait a bit longer and, I, and I'd just stand, in, stand and not do as much around it. So even though I thought in the early days I was helping them, I was, I was making things happen too quickly, mm-hmm. whereas I would stand and encourage things to happen through them finding me a little bit more instead of me... Uh, constantly managing the environment just to make things happen. So if I had a wild horse in a round yard, for instance, in, instead of creating a stimulant to get it to sort of focus, I'd probably just, and, and even in the old days, I'd just wander around them, but I'd probably just stand there and watch it for longer and just okay. watch it and watch it and just till I, I really, to kind of, till I can really understand it. And then I'd start to make some decisions on what I'm going to do next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I had, a, even though I sort of stood in a round yard, even in the early days and just waited till that horse just settled. And I think I'd watch a bit more about, you know, where, 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 where which eye they think through the most, which eye they do this and, you know, um, how often they, they, they pay attention to me, how often, you know, if they don't at all, you know, and, and I'd probably let them just bring their attention to me without me doing much at all. Yep. And then, after that, once I do get them sort of hold it up and I would spend more time on leading and following a feel softly and correctly, um, all those things that sort of help the reins and stuff like that, I'd probably, I'd probably spend more time on. So then when I get up there, uh, my tools are so much better than the horse feels feels like the tools are its friend opposed to a trap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, a lot of the things where I made things happen, I think I'd sort of allow the horse to every part of everything that I'm teaching, I would actually allow the horse to 
loosen and soften in that part and understand it before I move to the next part. Yeah, yeah. And I think what you said there, it sort of backs up your philosophy, you know, just watching it, guiding and involving it, but when the horse is ready to be guided and involved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got a question to you. You know, you you said at one stage, you know, which eye the horse is watching you with the most. Do they watch, and I'm thinking, you know, the, the horses coming in that haven't been handled, haven't had a lot to do with people as such, which eye is it more? Is it more the left? Is it more the right? I've heard it's more yeah. the left and I haven't, you know, when I was sort of working with unbroken horses, I didn't have the thoughts of even thinking about that. But but I've heard with people doing a bit of research now that it is more the left. But is it more the left? Is it more the right? What do you think? Yeah, listen, it's it's an interesting one. Yeah, I'd probably say, um, like predominantly, you might get more left-handed people and mm. uh, sorry, right-handed people and left-handed people. Yep. Predominantly, you might get uh, some more horses that'll soften on one eye, and and that probably would be the left eye. Mm-hmm. But I've I've I don't know how many horses that I've come across that that I've had to walk up on the right eye. Okay. And yep. I could only connect with them on the right eye. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I would never go in expecting, but you might say that more of them are. Uh, are going to look at you a little bit better with the left eye. Yep. Um, in saying that, though, like you know, when they talk about imbalance in horses, I'm I um just because there's a focus eye, it's it's interesting. You can be fooled if you believe it. Um, as in, you 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 might have an eye that the horse looks at you with, and then you watch it when it runs around. It's our other eyes, the one that it focuses on all the things it wants to go. Like you get these sort of real Stanley-like horses that, you know, they they're running through their right eye all the time. As yep. in, as in when they when they got their head up looking for other horses and what's looking around, they're really looking for their right eye. So if you've got that horse going to the left, it's you know it's it's not even hardly got any any of its secondary focus on you. It's just just sort of counter bent to the right, looking okay. you know scaling the whole place with its right eye. Mm-hmm. When you turn the horse around the other direction, it just looks at you softly with its right eye. Um, okay. yep. But when you get close to it, it may only allow you on the left eye. Mm. So, mm. you know, it might be scaling you out like, you know, like I call it scaling the joint. You know, you're looking around, it, it sort of scales the joint with its right eye, but once it gets a bit sort of nervous and, and, and it gets a bit more, oh, I'm happy to, uh, sorry, once that nervousness comes down and it's happy to connect, Mm. A little bit, maybe it only let, let, lets you on one side of its body because I have seen horses sort of that, 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 that you think that's the focus. I say, oh, that's the eye that I'm going to be on. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Sometimes you can be fooled, yeah. It's softer. That's mm. an interesting. And good that you've done the time and the work to notice that. You know, it just goes to show that yeah. the, the thousands, not just thousands of horses, you know, people talk about thousands of hours, but you spend a hundred hours with a horse, well, that's a hundred thousand hours. That's quite, I don't know if it's, that's quite yeah. the maths, but, you know, quite a lot of time, but not just time with horses, but time thinking about what you're doing with the horses. Mm. Yeah, well, once upon a time, you know, even before it was about trying to help every single horse and give them a better life, one of the other priorities for me was safety. Um, yep. Because I, you know, we 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 built our we lived in a shed for <laughs> little tiny shed. You're such for, a horse six person. Six or seven years and such a horse person, Mark. That's what horse people do live in sheds. Yeah, <laughs> milled our timber to build a house yeah. and yeah. all that, and it was yeah, it was a so so no fancy arenas. It was it was all the horses that get done. They had a little yard and another yard, and then we ride out into the bush and. So I had to watch them carefully to work 
how safe I was going to be and yes. what's going to go wrong. So, And that was all part of it too because after a few train wrecks, you don't want to get in them all the time. No, no, that's right. Tell us about a horse that you haven't kept going with, you know, that, that you've just thought for the amount of time and effort this horse is not not going to keep me safe. Is there is there one in particular, any particular behaviour that you, you're not looking forward to, you wouldn't be looking forward to working with? Um, all the years that I trained horses, they, I pretty well did every one that was sent to me. Uh-huh. Um, in the early days, there was a horse that got sent to me with, um, and and this was, you know, I don't, this was my sort of first, second or third batch of horses, you know, when I first started. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one in the batch that was really, really wild, and, and it was only a kid's pony size, but it was wild, and it was sort of, you know, it, it would have took months to sort of get it quiet, and, and, and I would have been scared it would have hurt a kid. Okay. Um, now, now because the horses, they're all sort of only worth a certain amount of money, they had to be, like, it wasn't my decision inevitably that makes the decision. It was, you know, you've got five horses. This one here is going to take a lot of time to work mm-hmm. and it's really, really, you know, really wild. Um, so the owner would sort of obviously make a decision on that one. That's one particular horse I remember that I feel bad because I, I feel in one sense I failed in because but it was a decision that was, you know, one of those ones that you had to make, um, yep, yep. I guess, for the client because otherwise I'd just have a paddock full of horses that I'd just take forever to train and, mm. and I'd have too many that I'd just sit there. and. It's um, hard when you've got to balance that financial viability, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and mm. of course it was a business back then. So it was one that I must admit. And there was another one which was a, a mare that I, I insisted that it had a vet check after I, I said, I'm not going to do any more work with this horse, um, it was an Arab mare who um, was very, you know, had a lot of anger in her, mm-hmm. um, you know, very sour-looking type mare and uh, more more particular than all, all the horses that I've been working with. And, of course, she sort of stood out to me. I, I said to the owner, listen, I've only done sort of two weeks, which equates to ten lessons. I've done ten lessons with her. I said, yes, I've made some improvement, but she's really – like she's, I haven't taken that that edge off her, yep. um, and I'm not willing to spend any more of your money until a vet checks her. Mm-hmm. And I believe she did have some problems, okay. uh, ovary type problems. Um, but yeah, it was one of those decisions that I thought it's unless I have a second opinion on this, um, yep. I'm I'm not willing to work the horse because I, I, I if I just keep working it, I'm I'm and I can't help it, then it's not worth working until someone else can sort of work out what how to fix it if there's some mm-hmm. other problem. Yes, yes, because training's one thing, but if the horse is in pain physically, yeah. it's a bit different. Yeah. yeah. But over the years, I, I basically got sent every horse. There was one that I broke to harness, which I didn't have enough time to break it to saddle um, mm-hmm. because it was – it was, there was a fellow wanted it for harness and it was more of a uh, bit of a, it was one of my early horses that really sort of taught me about <laughs> what a horse can do if it all goes wrong. But yep. um, I, I I put it in a sled and things like that. Um, but the amount of time I had before the fellow wanted it um, and, and the way it saw me under saddle was going to take some time. So that mare I decided just to finish her off in a sled and she's mm-hmm. another mare I probably, you know, whether or not she would have ever made a saddle horse, but she was going to, it's going to be a bit of a long road to get her going there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. Out of all the things, you know, you've been working with horses for a long, long time, you know, ever since very early. What makes you the proudest? Oh, one of my proud situations, one time when I felt really proud, it was, it was recently a lady who I was working with, and, mm-hmm. and it's more so now the people I work with and the horses that I managed to help, I think, that makes me the proudest. Yep. Um, two instances where, where um, there was two horses sent to me and the mother was getting ready for pony camp out at um, Narrabri. Yep. And she had a little sort of half-shut-down pony that wouldn't move forward and another thoroughbred, which was very, very um, hollow and stiff and tight and sort of nervous and, and you know, when it cantered, it cantered really choppy and it was stiff and worried. And so I took those horses for a couple of weeks for the lady and, and she rang me back. Oh, I talked to her a while later and she said, oh, I said, how pony club goes? She said, yeah, um, the little uh, Appaloosa pony, about 10 people wanted to buy it after the pony club, pony camp, and, and, and he he did her son did canned the jumps and everything and, <laughs> and and went really good and she said my other older son on the big thoroughbred won champion boy rider oh, isn't that great <laughs> and I, yep. and that made me so proud because it was like it, it wasn't like competition is not one of the things that drive me but to have two kids have their horses come over and mm. and and then you know do so well at, at at pony club it sort of it made me proud of the horses and, and proud that the kids actually and i hope for those kids they because I, I showed them what i did and yep you know give yep. them gave them ideas hopefully that carried through in their mind and a, another time was a troubled pony that got really frightened of people at a lady she wasn't going to compete on it but she um it made me proud because it, not not the ribbon she won it wasn't the ribbon it was what the judge said um she took it and I, I didn't think she was going to go to any dressage competitions for for a while because that pony was, you know, had some issues. Um, but I, I, we helped the pony start to understand her and start to work softly for her. Though, you know, the road was still wiggly. Mm-hmm. Um, one day, her husband said, "She only took it." I said, "Just take it to the shows and just be there, be a tree, just let it be calm around you, and then take it home so it knows that people are there to help, not yep. just to go and compete." And yep. Um, and, and just, just be a tree for it. And, and then one day she was at the competition just doing this, what I told her to do and um, and her husband said, Gizzy looks really calm. They just called one of the classes he can do. Why don't you do it? And she goes, oh, I'll try it. And she went in it and um, she ended up with reserve champion. Oh, at the, wow. The little, the little comp. Yep. But the judge said that that was the that was the quietest horse out there going around there. That That's was the, good. The calmest horse, yeah, and and to me it was because she said it was the calmest horse. So that pony was right happy underneath her and, and happy with her. Yep. And that made me really proud. That yep. was. Um, it was one of those proud moments that you sort of, because I don't have proud moments for myself. It's more so the what you can the do. Horses that go and mm. yeah. Mm. Mark, what have you got coming up at the moment? I know you're busy. You've got a clinic, and then you've got Equitana. If you got what have you got long term? Longer term than that. Yeah, listen, long term, we're, um, we're changing our, our, our structure a little bit. Like I've stopped taking horses about possibly about six months ago now because mm-hmm. I just got I, got, I was getting snowed under. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't have any time for it. Now we're a family now. We've, you know, got two young kids at school and I'd just come home and I'd be getting stressed because I had horses and clients' horses that were building up that I had to finish and it was just becoming too much on too much weight for me. Yes. So now I just do clinics. So I've got a three-day clinic coming up. Uh, this weekend, and that's why people are arriving now at the moment at home here. And yep. uh, then, then after that, we drive down to Melbourne uh, for the Equitana, which is the first Equitana that I've I've been to. And so I've just got two two demonstrations down there on the uh, the Thursday and Friday. Mm-hmm. And then I've 
we all drive back, the family drive back on the um, Sunday and then I drive back down to Sydney to go to uh, Perth for uh, – I did a, um, a talk over there and a little demonstration in Perth last year and the people who came have managed to organise uh, a few four-day clinics over there because they, they really liked it so they're trying to – so they put together some clinics. So I'm going to go Good. to Perth for Good. for about eight or nine days for, for mm-hmm. clinics over there. Okay. And then back and that's that's us for the – for the year, but next year we've got a busy calendar of clinics, and I go to Germany once a year, mm-hmm. um, and mainly clinics next year. But we're downsizing our breeding because um, uh, I've just got a pile of young horses that that I've got to start or educate and and that sort of thing. So what are we going to do? Is we're going to downsize our breeding because I, I just want to come home, and if I do have horses to ride, I want to just have ones that I'm not always training and 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 starting and handling to sell, or okay. <laughs> I want just some yep. that I'm going to yep. just enjoy for, for a bit. For sure, for sure. Mark, if people in, in between your busy schedule, if they'd like to contact you, what's the best way? Uh, they contact us uh, via, well, Jenny's, Jenny Jenny runs the whole business side of things and, and it's info at equineability.com.au. Mm-hmm. That's our email. Or we have a, the, the, the phone which links to Jenny, which is uh, our business number, which people contact Jenny on, and it's 0417. 200411. Yep. And if they just want to go onto the website, they can just Google either Mark Langley or Equine Ability. Our business name is Equine Ability. Mm-hmm. So if you just Google either either one, you'll, you'll get our website and all the details are on there. And, yeah, just also recently, which is a, which is a new thing and something I was a bit nervous about doing or, or sort of actually I didn't want to do it, was we've offered a, a subscription which is just um, – like a fly on the on the wall sort of thing that follows clinics and, and lessons and some lessons that I do with horses here okay. to just offer the people who can't come to clinics a bit of uh, support and people who've been to clinics a bit of support. It's um it's very hard though because I don't want the people just to follow a method. I want them to just take ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also available now um, for people to sort of use. Good, good. And Mark, just before we go, and those details too will be on horsechats.com slash Mark Langley or just go to horsechats.com and search for Mark Langley or search for Mark, you'll find that. But before we go, just summarise your philosophy with horses. Um, my philosophy is we go in as a helper mm-hmm. and... We, if we take them from the herd, we have to replace them with the herd, and that's us, and that's that's the way they feel around us and the connection they have with us. And when we operate them, we have to operate them in a way that allows them to search and makes decisions for themselves, and so they can feel good about what they're doing, and then our ideas can become uh, their, their ideas so I'm enjoying connecting to, to, to our ideas. Yep, good. Mark, we'd love to have you back again. I hope to talk to you a little bit more about that and how we can get you back and, um, you know, have some more of your precious time in between your clinics and everything else you're doing. So hopefully we'll see you again back here very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. I've, yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. 
registered training organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 